Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Today, I'm talking Christmas minimalism with author Meg Nordman. Her recent release, Have Yourself a Minimalist Christmas, is a great resource as you navigate the holiday season. We live in a society where we're bombarded with advertisements and, let's be honest, our children's irrational input, and it's hard to be decisive and intentional when it comes to the holiday season. So I just hope this episode assists you as you simplify your homes, your schedules, and gift giving this year. But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review on iTunes is the best way you can help this podcast succeed and grow. Another way to support the podcast is by checking out some of the advertisers I display here on the show, such as BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? Mental health has become much more of a topic of conversation and just something that we're aware of and more comfortable talking about these days. However, there can be a lot of stress associated with trying to find the right healthcare provider, especially in the times that we're living in right now. That's where BetterHelp online counseling comes into play. With BetterHelp, I have been able to see the ease in which you can receive that care that you're looking for. I just had to go onto the website, fill out a survey of what I was looking for, and was all set up with my own personal counselor. The option to have a counseling session from the privacy of my own home, plus the fact that I didn't have to worry about booking a babysitter, just made BetterHelp even more convenient for me. They make it very painless and easy for you, which is really beneficial for a mom of three. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So if you've really struggled with just trying to find the right therapist or someone to talk to in regards to mental health, this is something I really do recommend. Best of all, it's an affordable option and Minimalist Mom listeners get 10% off the first month. I want you to start living a happier life today. So as a listener, go to betterhelp.com minimalist and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash minimalist. As always, thank you so much for checking out the sponsors of the show. They really do help to make this podcast accessible to you guys. And I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Meg. It's slightly longer than our typical episode, but I feel like there's a lot here to digest and work your way through. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Meg, thank you so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Hi, thanks, Diane. It's so great to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. Christmas, I would, okay, I'm not going to lie. I like Thanksgiving, I think, the best, but Christmas comes in very, very close. So I'm excited to talk about how to have a minimalist Christmas with you today. I'm excited to talk about it too. You know, it starts the day after Thanksgiving for my family. So, yeah. Absolutely. I try to hold off playing the Christmas music until the day after Thanksgiving, but I know that whenever it starts to get cold here in Ohio, I'm just like so ready for it to begin. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I get started pretty early myself, just to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so much fun. Well, before we dive into your book, can you just tell me maybe a little bit about you and your background? Sure. Um, Let's see. I'm the mother of two little girls. I have a two-year-old girl and a four-year-old. 
and I'm a wife to a lovely man who is an auto mechanic and a very passionate surfer, which is why we now live in St. Augustine Beach, Florida on Anastasia Island. And uh, one of our favorite things to do is bike down to the beach just about every day. And we're really, really fortunate for that, I know. And we are on a fast track to financial independence and have become increasingly more minimalist over the years as we strive for that. And um, before moving here and becoming a mother, I was a journalist and an editor for several magazines and newspapers in Nashville, Tennessee. It was very fast-paced and exciting and even a glamorous life, although extremely stressful. Mm -hmm. And then I made a career switch and went into digital marketing for tech startups in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and found myself working for digital payment tech and cybersecurity software and in a whole different world. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I went freelance and was able to do content marketing. And so I was writing blogs basically for startups that were more aligned with my interest. Um, a lot of mommy startups, which was great. And so I've really been all over the map before landing here in my current role as a full-time mother and now book author who also dabbles in illustrations and playing oboe. <laughs> well, you told us a little bit about yourself, but I want to hear about minimalism and what that has looked like in your life. Well, let's see. Two things really brought me to becoming minimalist. First was my kids. And secondly, we had a huge financial goal. And they both really happened all at the same time. So we moved to St. Augustine when I was eight months pregnant and soon had our first child and along came all the stuff, the baby stuff. And I already had too much. Um, so when we were in Albuquerque and making this big move, I read Marie Kondo's book, you know, The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up. And it was the first time I had ever questioned my belongings. Um, I now realize I was borderline hoarder level <laughs> holding on to items. I was very emotional in emotionally attached to everything. And um, a lot of my stuff was that sunk cost bias, that realization that I've spent money on it. So therefore I can never let go because it would be wasted money mm -hmm. in a sense. And so um, I read that I questioned things, whether they sparked joy and I felt like I got rid of a lot of stuff. And then I still managed to fill a huge trailer of all our things mm -hmm. and I filled up my SUV and then I had to go and rent a U-Haul truck on that very last day unexpectedly because I still had too much stuff. And then to make it worse, I had to leave things literally on the sidewalk because we couldn't cram it in. And so after decluttering, that is how much stuff I still had. <laughs> and so we moved to St. Augustine into the 750 square foot house mm -hmm. and stuff literally could not come into the house. I had to re-question some more and declutter again. The house was still packed. And then I had this baby and she started walking by about eight months. And in that toddlerhood just started really early and things get really messy yeah. and really chaotic and overwhelming once they can drag things around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that was about this point. I was, I had, you know, just left this fast paced career life and became a full-time mom. And I started feeling really depressed and exhausted. And I, I couldn't find any time for myself mm -hmm. to do any of the things that bring me joy, like writing or art or making music. And I also, I couldn't be present with my child in the way that I wanted to be. 
because I was always busy cleaning, just constantly picking things up. Mm-hmm. And so it finally occurred to me one day. Um, so my husband was already pretty minimalist and he was very gently urging me to embrace this mindset. Mm-hmm. And I guess it finally clicked that less stuff means there's less to clean and manage, which equals more time. Mm-hmm. And time was my most valuable asset. And so I could get the time to do these creative projects and the time to be present with my child if I could just get rid of it. Yeah. And so that was really, it wasn't back in New Mexico when I read Marie Kondo's book. It was really when I hit this breaking point and uh, my husband and I decided we had this ambitious goal of by the time he's 42, we're going to be financially independent. We're going to move to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had on top of this hoarder habit, a shopping habit. Mm-hmm. So in order to save money, to have that money to invest, um, I had to stop shopping. Mm-hmm. And so here I was basically psychoanalyzing myself of why am I holding on to this? And then also analyzing myself of why do I feel compelled to buy this all at the same time? Huge, huge. That was a massive year for me of mm-hmm. all of this mindset shift that was happening. Yeah, I just you know, vowed to stop spending things, got rid of things. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a weekend or a month or even a year. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much mental work to unpack when really shifting to minimalism. Um, people say declutter your house. That really encompasses internal work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was how I, I got to this point of really being a minimalist. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, you're right. When you are decluttering your home, it really does come down to what are my decisions I'm going to make for every item in this house. And it's either it stays or it goes. So it is, that's really tough because there's so many items that we're emotionally tied to. Like you said, you just felt so sentimental towards some of these items, especially I think as our children are growing. I feel like it's really strong in those baby years and toddler years because it, it just happens so quickly. So I think that for me, I can, I am speaking for myself. I feel like it becomes so emotionally difficult to get rid of those things, but also you yeah. want that precious time because if you're, if you're spending all this time cleaning up after your kids, then you're not going to have time to actually spend with them as they're growing. So it's like, I need to put that into perspective and just get, get the stuff out. Exactly. Yeah, it was, you know, clinging to the past self of, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of sense of if I get rid of this thing, do I lose the memory of being that person, mm-hmm. you know, or the guilt because my mom gave me this lovely antique, even though that's not really my style right now, Yeah, but my yeah. mom gave it to me, so I can't. There's, there's so many reasons. I could list like a dozen reasons that I finally honed in on why I felt compelled to help hold on to everything yeah. <laughs> and I let go of it all. Well, that's awesome. But what made you transition into holiday minimalism? This is what you're here for today. You wrote this book on how to minimize during Christmas time. I guess what got you to that initial initial point of decluttering to here you are writing this book about Christmas minimalism? Yeah, well, um, so firstly, despite my efforts to declutter and save money throughout the rest of the year, I still had a huge problem with going overboard with playing Santa each year. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give my children that feeling of magic that I remembered from my own childhood. Though looking back, when I really look at it, Christmas was much, much more simple back then. Mm -hmm. But I remember that feeling of magic. Couple that with all of the influencer marketing on Instagram 
and all the picture-perfect Christmases that you see on Pinterest. Um, I guess I kind of warped that into I needed to create this this perfect Christmas in order for that childhood magic to occur. Mm. Uh, And, you know, really, you have to realize these influencers have sponsorship deals Mm -hmm. or at least free products, and it's their business model to create these beautiful magazine-worthy images. Mm -hmm. So, of course, everything they have, they can stage and curate it perfectly. They're masters at photography and apps and filters, um, and I was just falling for it, hook, line, and singer. Mm-hmm. I saw the wooden mini guitar next to the mug of hot chocolate overflowing with gooey, lightly toasted marshmallows and a mm-hmm. plush throw blanket and some twinkle lights and matching wooden train set and the smiling children and their matching striped pajamas. And I tried to recreate that in my real life, mm-hmm. but it's not life. <laughs> you can create magic absolutely and you can have beautiful moments but I was really killing myself trying to make the entire month of December be like one perpetually perfect Instagram feed Mm -hmm. and so I fell into that trap of trying to buy all the stuff Mm -hmm. and just trying to do all the stuff um you know my Facebook events were always suggesting all these quaint little you know local Christmas market here and Santa will be here. And, um, I was really kind of dragging everyone around to all this stuff. So it was twofold, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I was trying to rein it in, um, and become more intentional. And at the same time, I, I'm in all these minimalist mom Facebook groups and different minimalist groups on Facebook. And I kept seeing the same question be asked over and over and over again of, hey, I've been decluttering and we finally got the house manageable and the kids are doing better. But my grandmother or my mother, my aunt, um, you know, insert family member or close friend, Mm -hmm. um, they won't stop giving me gifts. She's Mm -hmm. already buying things. She's already asking me what they want. But I've told her we're minimalist now. Don't buy us anything. She doesn't understand. And she thinks it's nonsense or I'm depriving our children um, or depriving her right as a grandmother. And she refuses to stop. So she's sabotaging all of my efforts. And how do I get through to her that we don't want any more things? And I saw some iteration of that a thousand times among these probably 30 groups I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it occurred to me that it wasn't just me having this problem of needing to curb my own struggles with mm-hmm. buying things and doing all the things. And then also my own struggles with some chronic gift givers in my family. But all these other people were struggling and some of them were well-practiced minimalists and others were brand new minimalists, but we all had these same pain points. And so I started looking at these questions being asked around the fall and it occurred to me there wasn't already a book written about this and it just, the topic spoke to me and because I had this free time because of minimalism, Mm -hmm. I now had the time to be able to do a creative project like writing. Mm -hmm. I sat down started writing it. No, that's wonderful. On the podcast, we've discussed holiday minimalism, but your book just goes so in depth, more so than we would have for a small episode. So I guess I just want to unpack a little bit of your book. I'm not going to, we're not going to share all of your tips, but I want to just unpack a few things here. And one of the first questions I would have for you is 
why do you think it is that some people just feel so compelled to gift so much? I definitely am a believer in the love languages. And I know for my family, we have some individuals that giving gifts is their love language, but I feel like there must be something deeper. So what would you say? Yeah, um, there are several things um, that come into play with the people that I call like the chronic gift givers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the first is to realize that grandma or the aunt or the best friend, whoever it is that's the big gifter in your life, they're not trying to sabotage you. Mm-hmm. They just don't understand your desire for less. Mm-hmm. And there's several things coming into play. So before you even begin to try to ask them to stop giving so much, you have to understand why they're giving them. And the first is society has convinced them through advertisements, marketing, and culture that they need to give more, bigger, better presents. That's the message being sold constantly. They have to find the perfect gift for everyone they know. And these days, it's now becoming plural. So it's the perfect gifts Mm. (laughs) for everyone. And then, like you said, um, another thing coming into play would be the love languages. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I'm a big fan of Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. And, um, And if there's any listeners that don't know, that is a quick summary is that there's five ways people give and receive love. And it's physical touch, acts of service, words of affection, time spent together, and then lastly, drum roll, gifts. Mm-hmm. They truly only know how to express their love by giving gifts. And this is a season of expressing love. And so these particular folks tend to go overboard because they are trying to say, I love you mm-hmm. as loudly and clearly as possible. And then thirdly, related to that um, love language theory, is that we receive a chemical cocktail boost in our brain when we give something. We get a surge of dopamine and oxytocin, and our brains register this as pleasure and love. Mm -hmm. And we chemically feel this joy and love rush through our brain and our body because the act of giving is now releasing these endorphins. Mm -hmm. So the gift giver is particularly susceptible to craving this dopamine oxytocin boost. And so it's, it's what we feel when we go shopping and we can get an addiction to it. Mm -hmm. And so they're getting that when they buy the gift and they're getting it twofold. So when they give the gift Mm -hmm. and they don't understand their own body and brain chemistry and what's, you know, that compulsion to shop and give is doing. And then lastly, um, I would think that another thing driving them would possibly be something from their own past. If someone didn't have a whole lot as a child growing up, which is often the case for the older generations, then they tend to want to make up for it uh, by giving abundance. So everyone wants that next generation to have it better than their own. And even us as parents, you know, we do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So now there's this abundance in wealth and material objects. There's so much available and it's made so quickly and cheaply. So it's relatively affordable and it's just so easy for these folks who have this urge to do more for the next generation Mm -hmm. for them to acquire and give that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of all four of these driving forces at play all at once. So now that we have somewhat of an understanding of what might be driving these friends or family members behavior, how do you recommend that we would go about asking for the gift giver to stop giving gifts? Because I sometimes I think that's a little bit unrealistic because it could possibly be 
I don't want to say offensive, but I know I'm specifically thinking of this person in my life. And when I've said, oh, don't worry about it, like she takes it as a personal offense because she just loves to show us love in that way. So I guess how can we say maybe not so many gifts? What would you say? Exactly. And that's the big pain point that I see when I've seen the same question in these Facebook groups being asked Mm -hmm. is they'll say that they just bluntly ask the person to stop buying them things. We're minimalist now. Stop buying us things. And I just think that's a little too abrupt. It's too blunt and sensitive. Um, Like we said, these people are just trying to say, I love you. Um, And so in chapter eight of my book, I outline three strategies and then I set some realistic expectations that have to be kept in mind as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some clear cut ways to rein in your own purchases in chapter six but it is a little more delicate to ask others to scale back. Mm -hmm. But one of the first strategies I recommend is dropping hints through conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I mean is to just be more inclusive in the process of introducing minimalism to them. And really the best way to do that is just to say, you know, Hey, we just decluttered the kids' room and all of our closets, and it's been so freeing. You know, I, I think the kids were overwhelmed by the amount of stuff in their rooms. Mm-hmm. They were incapable of cleaning it by themselves, and it was distracting from schoolwork. Uh, we couldn't find shoes in the morning. They don't really know what they want to play with because there's just too much. Mm-hmm. If you kind of, in conversation, casually detail the problems that you're having, uh, authentically, and then start raving about the big positive differences. Mm-hmm. Now you can say, uh, but now it's been so much easier to get ready for school in the morning because we've only got two pairs of shoes and five outfits and little Jimmy gets his homework done and he's much happier now that he's only got a few toys to choose from to pick to play with. And so you're having a, a genuine conversation and sharing how you've made positive change and there's no blame. You're not blaming them or naming them in any way for being the source of those toys. Uh, You're not telling them that they have to be minimalist too. You're not even using the word minimalism. That can be kind of a scary sounding word to people. Um, So, but you're just sharing why less is better for your particular household. Mm -hmm. And then if appropriate, you could segue the conversation to something like, I'm feeling a little nervous about Christmas because the kids always get so much and I just don't want to undo all the progress we've made. Mm -hmm. And then you can sort of guide them and lead them to the solution. Mm -hmm. So maybe they feel like they're helping you solve the problem Mm -hmm. by saying, let's rein it in or let's do experience gifts like Zoom memberships or mini golf gift cards or ballet classes or something like that, that maybe the gift giver would like to do. And you're not telling them to do it. You're just guiding them on their own. And so that's what I mean by dropping hints. Mm-hmm. Um, the second strategy you can employ is setting limits or guidelines for the extended family. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people know about the classic drawing straws idea uh-huh. where you can find a way to designate who is gifting to someone and release everyone else from having to buy for everyone else. Uh, that way, everyone is exchanging only one or two gifts instead of 10 to 20. Mm -hmm. And they're more meaningful that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, my family set a rule of we're only gifting each other one book because that's just a big value of ours is reading. And it just takes so much of the stress and expense away. Uh, You can set limits around a budget, like nothing over $50, or we're only giving one gift per child under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. Um, There's 
all different kinds of ways you can set these kind of guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and a third strategy would be to provide lists. So you may not be able to get these gift givers to stop giving gifts altogether. Mm-hmm. So rather than allow unwanted, unusable, unloved gifts that will become eventual clutter for you, mm-hmm. just make sure you provide them with a list of things that you do need for your household or that you or your child would love. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you're trying to not have so much plastic and blinky lights and you want more Montessori wooden things. You can compile a list for them that at least shows them that. Um, even if they don't buy specific things from it. And to me, Pinterest has personally been the best way to share that. So I just have one link that I send to the grandmas and the aunts. And, you know, I'll have one for each child since they're in different age brackets. Mm -hmm. And with Pinterest, you can pin things from, you know, it can be from Amazon or Etsy or Walmart or Target. And it's all in one place. And that way they have more of a sense of what would be welcome in our household. But you could do it, you know, you can do an Amazon wish list, or I think you can even do it just with, you know, Target or Walmart or something like that. But um, I really recommend Pinterest because you can put it all into one place and just have one link that you share so that you don't overwhelm them. Yeah, Um, that's a great idea. I haven't. I've never thought of Pinterest before. I always just send an Amazon list, but there are things that I don't necessarily want that are on Amazon. I would like to maybe shop local or give those links. And so then I feel like, I don't know, I don't feel like it's as put together and organized. So I really like the idea of utilizing Pinterest. I think that's super unique. Yeah. And I think uh, if I'm correct, Amazon, I don't think you can pin directly from their site, Mm -hmm. but if you just grab the URL for the item you want, Mm -hmm. you can go directly into Pinterest and press the little plus sign and manually add it in. Yeah, I really like that tip. And I think you're right. I think for us, the thing that put our family on board with it most of all has been us living this lifestyle year after year. It's definitely taken time for some of these family members to understand what we mean when we're trying to live with less. And now that they see us living this out and they see the way our home is decorated or not so decorated, that they – it's – for some reason, I think it takes that to be a light bulb moment. So I totally agree with just letting them, like having those organic conversations, but also like by living out what you're saying that you're going to be doing. Exactly. It could take years mm-hmm. of the dropping hints and setting them up with lists or discussing guidelines, mm-hmm. but they might not ever come around and understand it. And yeah. that's what I mean when I say uh, in my book that you need to set up some realistic expectations mm-hmm. because, sometimes, you know, you just simply cannot change people mm-hmm. and you need to prepare yourself that they may not have heard you and they may still show up with an armload of gifts. Mm-hmm. And just radiate gratitude and say thank you and give them a big hug because that's really all they want. After all, Mm -hmm. they're just trying to say, I love you. And so it's your job to say, I hear you and I love you too, because you don't have to keep the stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, later tomorrow, you can decide what actually is allowed to stay in your house Mm -hmm. and what's going to go. But in the moment, you know, you know, this is a season of peace and love and gratitude and togetherness. You know, just make sure you get your smile ready. Let them enjoy that rush of dopamine and oxytocin and ride that happiness high. And don't take that from them. Just share it with them and feel that joy and be present. And, uh, you know, 98% of them are not trying to sabotage you. (laughs) So, um, you know, don't let it wreck your peace and understand what you're in control of and what you're not. And um, 
you know, you can deal with the items and the clutter later. Mm-hmm. No, that's great advice. So my next question for you is that when we have little kids, I think it's somewhat easier to navigate uh maybe giving them fewer gifts, but for kids that have been getting a certain amount of gifts for their 10 years of life, how, I guess, do we go about saying we're setting new boundaries with gift giving? How do we prepare a child for a Christmas with fewer gifts when they're used to maybe a certain number or just Christmas looking a certain way? Yeah, good question. Um, I know that's that can be really difficult for people. And we, we feel really nervous about letting our kids down. Mm-hmm. Um, in my book, I go over three different strategies for this. Um, but I think the best strategy is the four gift rule, which has gained a lot of popularity among minimalists over the past handful of years. Mm-hmm. And you've likely heard of this little rhyme. It's catchy. Uh, it goes, something you want, something you need, something to wear, something to read. Mm-hmm. And this places very clear parameters around how many items a child can expect. Um, and so this is really helpful with overspending and overgifting. And what I love is that there's only one want. Mm-hmm. All the other things are more of needs or they're more useful, which really kind of flips it because usually Christmas when we're doing our gift buying, we're just buying a whole bunch of wants and maybe just a few needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really forces a person or the child to really put some thought into what the want is going to be. And it keeps us all from being frivolous or expecting every small whim. Um, and you have to think it's so hard for us, even as adults to ignore all the marketing messages. Yeah. And so you imagine you've got all these, you know, children being told that a magical man will poof, make all their desires a reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have kids, you know, you should probably pause this <laughs> going any further um, in the background. Um, but, you know, if they see a toy catalog come into the house with all the toys and they see the toys at the end of the aisles at the grocery store, or they see advertisements on YouTube, they're going to want all those things and become insatiable for them. But if you set these parameters around, you know, you're going to have one want, um, you're setting, you're setting up their expectations and they're going to be much more thoughtful about what they ask Santa for. Yeah. And now you can change this poem or rhyme however you want. Uh, if you can't wrap your head around four items, which is plenty, I promise you. Um, but that can be really hard for a lot of us. Um, if you want to try a few more, you can change it. You can say it's two things you want, two things you need, two things to wear, two things to read, or change it up to you know four, three, two, one, or mm-hmm. two, two, one, one. It doesn't really matter as long as you're being very intentional and giving guidelines and sticking to that. Mm-hmm. And as far as preparing little children for this change. Um, there's some different ways that you have to, you can craft this and everyone's going to craft it a little bit differently. But for small children, I have a story for them. And I've actually written a children's book that will come out next fall Mm -hmm. uh, that encompasses this little story, but I'm just going to tell it to everyone now that they can use it. If they want, let them know that the four gift rule is new instructions that come from Santa. Mm -hmm. You can even get fancy and write it in a magical little letter with, pretty cursive handwriting from the North Pole and pull it out from your own mailbox if you want. But uh, it might just be easier to continue crafting the story of Santa. And we're not done yet with that. <laughs> and let them know that this is a new rule from Santa. Mm-hmm. So my story says, 
that the joyometer has gone down at the North Pole and that Santa and the elves realized it was because the children of the world had too many toys and that they were actually happier when they had just a few of their absolute favorite things. So in order to save Christmas and bring joy back into the world, Santa is implementing a new rule and then you could recite that little poem to them. Mm -hmm. So you could um, explain this in a letter from Santa if you wanted. Mm -hmm. That way, mommy and daddy aren't being mean or anything like that. It's just new business from Santa. And so, you know, this would work for younger kids. Yeah. For older kids, <laughs> yeah, for older kids that are on to you, I think just having a more mature conversation about having too many items can lead to overwhelm mm -hmm. and that by creating a new family rule to go by, the household will be more peaceful. So perhaps you have rules in place like you have to clean your room before you can go ride bikes with your friends. Um, you can come at it from that angle. Like if you don't have so much stuff, then it'll be easier to clean your room. Mm -hmm. So you'll be able to go play with your friends mm -hmm. um, and just kind of, you know, let them understand what that looks like from something that is important to them. And even older kids might appreciate a mature conversation about the amount of waste our gift giving is producing. Mm -hmm. I know um, this generation, especially more like high school aged, they're way more eco-conscious mm -hmm. and um, they even have like a new kind of stress that's been labeled. It's like an environmental stress mm -hmm. um, because they see what's happening and collectively they're trying to change that and solve that. Mm -hmm. So there's a way to frame this as helping them help the world in a sense, mm -hmm. and they may welcome that idea. But what I wouldn't do is come at it from a place of lack. I wouldn't blame it on finances. Mm -hmm. um, I do think we should be teaching our kids about finances and helping them gain financial literacy and practical knowledge. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't allude to a simpler Christmas being due to a lack of finances or funds. Mm -hmm. um, it would just completely change the energy around it. Yeah. But um, you know, a, a more mature child, maybe you know, a high school senior or something, may appreciate a more candid conversation about not being wasteful and being more frugal and, um, you know, using that savings and for investments. Um, but that's the only place that I would bring in finances would be in a case like that. Yeah. I think it's not even necessarily about frugality sometimes because, um, my suggestion in this area would be to make the magic come from the experiences. So on Christmas day, instead of, opening 12 presents, we're going to open our four presents and then we're going to watch a movie in our jammies with hot cocoa and popcorn that has green and red M&Ms in it. Like make it a moment full of experiences that are very unique to Christmas. I know Christmas in itself is magical, but I think that if you can even have things leading up to Christmas that are unique, the joy comes from those times spent with one another. And I think that you could also spin it that way. Just we're going to maybe not have as many tangible gifts this year, but we're going to do these fun things or I'm going to let you do this or that. Whatever fits your family, I think could be a way to, I guess, like you said, spin it or um, just encourage them of how it's going to look different this year. Exactly. Just shift the whole focus off of the gift giving aspect and shift it more on traditions and family time. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So um, we're kind of getting to the end here, but I would love to know what should someone do, I guess, to start preparing? We've been talking about gifts, but what do we do to prepare for a simpler Christmas? Yeah. Um, first of all, just understand this is not an aesthetic 
thing at all. My mm-hmm. book has nothing to do with minimalist aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about slowing down and having intentionality. Mm-hmm. And so I recommend going ahead and getting the decorations down. Mm-hmm. And before the actual decorating day happens, because um, you don't want the kids to, and try to do it without the kids around because you don't want them coming and digging into the boxes and, and, oh, this was my favorite thing from when I was three years old. Uh, you know, just do it without kids around and see what's getting worn out. Maybe there's, you know, red bows on an outdoor wreath that are getting faded from the sun mm-hmm. um, and start analyzing things like you would in any other decluttering situation. Um, it's just if you do it the day that you're planning to decorate, you'll get all swept up in it and you won't really be objective. But now you can look at it and say, you know, was this just a gift from someone that doesn't really hold that much significance to me? Was it just a hand-me-down from my mom's first ornaments that don't really mean much to me? Is this an old trend? Um, or is this a collection that's bothersome to me every year? And start editing out things that don't serve you. Mm-hmm. For example, um, I talk about this in the book. <laughs> I really had this ideal image of Christmas lights being on the outside of the house and the whole family would pitch in together and we put it up together to be this fun tradition. Cause I have this memory of doing that as a child. And so I trying to replicate it in my own life and it just does not work with our family, at least not in this season, because first of all, my kids are really young and they're kind of clueless about it. And then secondly, and more importantly, my husband is really, um, eco-conscious around energy waste. Mm -hmm. And so the last time I put lights on the house, I only turned them on maybe four times very guiltily (laughs) because he he was just so grumpy about us wasting energy. (laughs) And, um, you know, just stay aware of these kind of things of, you know what, this isn't for our family. So I'm going to edit it out. I'm going to declutter all of the outdoor lights. That's Mm -hmm. more space I gain in my closet or attic. And, um, I don't have to climb up on a ladder and do this and wait until, uh, honestly, I waited until February to take it down mm-hmm. because it was just such a big project. And I realized this is just not for me. We're not going to be outdoor light people. So pull the stuff down and really analyze things in that way of, is this serving us? Um, and then there are four areas, um, that I recommend doing a kind of a quick decluttering through, um, and I mentioned this in more detail in my book, but I would be sure to do the kids' room, your winter wardrobe, your kitchen area, particularly your pantry, like around baking supplies and stuff, and your living area. And that one will probably just take the least amount of work. Mm-hmm. But if you can just go ahead and get rid of the toys um, that you no longer need anymore, the kids aren't playing with them. And just start making room for the inevitable stuff that will come in mm-hmm. and get the winter wardrobes for everyone situated so that the whole season is just more easy mm-hmm. to handle and getting dressed and getting ready for Christmas parties or anything like that. You, you know what's there. Everything fits. Everything makes you feel good that you put on. Um, and then you know what you have in your pantry. You know if you need brown sugar or cinnamon or anything like that. And everything's kind of more within reach. And so any kind of baking traditions could be much more peaceful and at ease. Just this whole chapter that I have around this is about 
just setting yourself up and you're doing this in like October and November so that the month of December in particular will just go a lot more smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. I love just, I would say you're streamlining decisions that you don't have to make on those more stressful days. Like if you get all of that taken care of in the beginning of the season, you don't have to worry about, oh, I'm out of cream of tartar or whatever it is that you need for your baking. And you won't have to find room on the shelf because you already have places to put your new toys and such. So I really like that idea of just going in beforehand, probably without kids. If you can get a few hours to yourself to take care of the stuff, it can be really helpful to just get it done and taken care of. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Well, this was so informative and I know I've been reading through your book and you have so much more in there to really hone in on how to make our Christmas minimalist. So I encourage people to pick up a copy of your book and honestly, maybe gift it to family members. I think it's one that should be shared all around. I would love that. Yes. And it's, it's a, be an audiobook print and ebook. So it could just be something that you listen to, Mm -hmm. you know, while you're doing the dishes for a few hours and just get yourself ready and get in the right mindset for the, the chaos that is coming and just go ahead and get control of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where can listeners find you if they want to reach out or where can they grab a copy of your book? I know you said it's available in different forms, but where can they find you? Yeah, the, the best place to look for it would be MegNordman.com, and that's N-O-R-D-M-A-N-N for Nordman. And um, I'll have links there to everything on, you know, of course, it's going to be on Amazon and Audible, mm-hmm. and it's going to be pretty much anywhere where you can get uh, ebooks and audiobooks. You could even check it out from your library if your library has a streaming app for stuff like that, and, um, and I'll have hard copies available on my website and paperback available on Amazon. Perfect. Well, I'm going to ask you the questions that I ask every guest as we end the podcast. And the first one is, what is something that you're simplifying right now? AKA, what is your minimalist moment of the week? Yeah. Um, mine would be minimalist moment of the past two weeks. <laughs> it's been my bathroom. So last year I really honed in on my kitchen mm-hmm. and, um, and when I I guess I should back up. So there's different kinds of minimalism and there's sustainable minimalism. There's frugal minimalism. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, aesthetic minimalism. And there's also just kind of that idea of sparking joy, like everything you have yeah. makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of combine all of that. And so I'm very eco-conscious and I'm also very frugal and I also want everything to make me happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, um, I decided to start trying to do that with my bathroom mm-hmm. and I decluttered everything in the shower, um, that was starting to collect, you know, of course I decluttered it years ago, but it just all kind of collected again. Mm-hmm. And I got rid of all the extra shampoo and hand lotion and body wash and face wash and all that stuff and tried to go plastic free. I got, um, this soap that's olive oil based called Savon de Marseille, mm-hmm. which has been lovely. And I switched to a bar of shampoo. It's a J.R. Liggett's shampoo and it doesn't have any plastic waste at all. It comes in paper packaging and it looks like a bar soap and you run it through your hair and it gets all sudsy. And then you just rinse your hair out with some apple cider and water, mm-hmm. just 50, 50. And I just keep that in a, um, little container that I already had. And then I got rid of, well, I used them up really 
all the plastic cheap razors. I've always just used mm-hmm. kind of the cheapo mm-hmm. razors. And I got a leaf razor. That's the name of the brand. Okay. And it's all metal. It's beautiful and shiny. And I got, they have different metals that you can do. I got a chrome one and it is the best shave I've ever had. Ooh. And, um, and so I'll never have to throw away another razor. And I, all I have taking up space is in a storage cabinet, a teeny tiny little box full of 50 replacement blades. And they last a really long time. And I'll just slip it in there whenever it needs a new blade. And um, so now my my shower is so bare. It just has the razor, the olive oil-based soap, the hair soap, and the apple cider. That's it. Four things. And it's just making me so happy. <laughs> yeah. I feel and like so, it looks probably really good too. When there's so much in your shower or bathroom, it just, it does look so cluttered, but then also you have to clean around it and it gets soap scum around it. So I feel like that's probably much easier to clean your bathroom now. Exactly. And now I just need to figure out, you know, like a bamboo toothbrush, some kind of deodorant alternative and a floss alternative. And I will be pretty good with having everything that brings me joy. Like my razor makes me so happy. And then just reducing the plastic waste and all the (laughs) Sure. Well, I'll be sure to include those in the show notes and I'm going to have to look into that razor. The only thing I've heard about razors like that is you might nick yourself more. Have you noticed a difference? No, not at all. Um, Yeah. Check that one out. And it's, got all the safety stuff and a head swivels mm-hmm. and, um, and you don't even feel it. Like I thought it was going to be very sharp, yeah. but it, there's, you don't feel any of the friction of it hitting the individual hairs. Like it just feels like a smooth piece of metal going across. And I had to look to make sure it was working, but I'm like super smooth now. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'll definitely include that in the show notes. Well, the very last question that I have for you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? And this can be honestly anything that you can't stop talking about. Okay. Um, well, I am a total nerd for financial independence. Mm -hmm. I know I've mentioned it a few times. Um, but the combination of minimalism and, uh, this financial freedom goal has just changed my life. And so I'm always talking about the fire movement. That's an acronym for financial independence, retire early. And we, at the time of this recording, I think we're 406 days away from declaring financial independence, which means my husband can quit his job in 406 days. And, um, and it's all about just creating passive income that can sustain you instead of relying on a paycheck. And and I've been talking a lot about a book called invested by Danielle town. And she talks about value investing, which is like Warren Buffett's style, but it's written for people who literally don't know a single thing about stocks, Mm -hmm. like not a lick of financial literacy around stock investments. And so I'm, I can't stop raving about it because um, I think that's just so important because it seems like this big, scary world. And it's really just a language Mm -hmm. that you have to learn. And um, so I really appreciate her breaking it down to the basics. And I'm, currently writing a book, um, about the fire movement and our journey and trying to do the same thing, trying to really break it down so that anyone can come in and start understanding the steps that need to be taken. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's my obsession. I'm, I'm launching a, a podcast kind of around it mm-hmm. that melds the interest in minimalism and financial freedom. That's called journey to freedom mm-hmm. and finding other people who are nerds about this and, really the whole idea for me is time. Like mm-hmm. that's what I'm really nerdy about is how do you create more time so that you're more free to do the things you want to do 
whether that's just to be outside gardening or to go and write a book or to travel the world, um, whatever that is, um, it's just how do we capture more time? And so that's that's what I'm obsessed about. <laughs> no, I love that. I've never heard, I mean, I know of financial independence, obviously, and people retiring early, but I've never heard of it used by that acronym. So I'm definitely going to have, I need to read that book invested. And then I'm definitely going to pick up a copy of that book of yours because I think that, well, this is a tangent that we don't have time to go into, but I just feel like students in high school and even college, I guess, unless you're specializing in that area, you don't really know anything about the stock market. I feel like I was never taught that in high school and it's so valuable to your life. (laughs) So I I think- I think stuff like that is so important. And I think congratulations on the early retiring. I know that you're not quite there, but you're almost there. And the end is in sight. And that's so exciting. So I wouldn't be able to stop talking about that either. Yeah, it's really for us, it's been a combination of learning about real estate investments Mm -hmm. and learning about stock investments, Mm -hmm. learning about tax laws and how to optimize that for yourself. And that's what this book is going to be about. It's just all the different facets that come into play. And I have, of course, a massive chapter on minimalism and Mm. a whole section on frugality, like ways that you can cut back. And a lot of that comes with minimalism and being eco-friendly. It all ties in together. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Meg, this was such a great conversation. And like I said, I feel like your book is so helpful into really creating our Christmases to be more about the experiences as opposed to the tangible items. Like it really is about spending time with one another and allowing that joy just to be felt in our homes. And yeah, gifts can be a part of that, but just to really shift the focus and be intentional about that time of year. So I appreciate your wisdom in this book. And like I said, I hope people pick up a copy of it. And I just appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor. I've been listening to you for years, like early, early on in motherhood. And so I'm, it's great. I'm talking to a mentor of mine. (laughs) You didn't even know it. (laughs) Yeah. That's so wonderful to hear. Well, thank you. You have a good rest of your day. What did you think of the interview? Are you feeling overwhelmed with creating a perfect Christmas season for your family? My recommendation for you is to take one thing that you could immediately take off your plate and make it less stressful. Really think about that. What is something that you feel obligated to do year in and year out? Maybe this is the year that you take that off your plate and allow for a more simplistic, cozy holiday season. I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com. There you'll find links to the Facebook page, Instagram account, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.